0: Greetings, and thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 52. This is the penultimate episode of the 2020 2021 school year, and it is going to be a bit special. Students will have the choice of responding to one of two poems this week, both by poet Jose Olivares. These will not be the first time we've read and responded to his poetry. Back in November, we explored Despecho Hour at Casa Azul Restaurante Cantina. This time, we have Ars Poetica, published in Poetry Magazine in December 2019, and My Therapist Says Make Friends With Your Monsters, published April 2017 at the online literary magazine The Rumpus, whose goal is to provide a platform for new and marginalized voices. All of ours published his collection, Citizen Illegal, in 2018, which included, my therapist says, to make friends with your monsters, which is where I first met it. The book is rich in humor and warmth with commentary about his experience in America as the son of Mexican immigrants, but also with playful diversions like Ode to Cheese Fries, which I almost selected for this assignment. Uh, It has a line that describes eating the yellow. So yellow it can only be manufactured. So what if it's fake? It has been a couple of years since I read this collection, but in in it is a chorus titled Mexican Heaven. It's a recurring poem that changes each time it surfaces. The first iteration is worth reading in full real quick. All the Mexicans sneak into heaven. St. Peter has their names on the list. But the Mexicans haven't trusted a list since Ronald Reagan was president. I think having my voice read this might change it quite a bit. As a rule, white people should probably avoid saying the Mexicans. I don't think that usually ends well. But I enjoy the poem too much not to share it. It is a good example of the playfulness of the book that also has this thoughtful underlying and often direct social commentary. Now, I'm clearly very eager to to get to Olivera's, but we need to do things in order. Our first stop needs to be with the analysis my students wrote in response to the Facebook sonnet. And before we can get to that analysis, we need to give the poem another listen. The Facebook Sonnet by Sherman Alexi. Welcome to the Endless High School Reunion. Welcome to past friends and lovers, however kind or cruel. Let's undervalue and unmend the present. Why can't we pretend every stage of life is the same? Let's exhume, resume, and extend childhood. Let's all play the games that occupy the young. Let fame and shame intertwine. Let one search for God become public domain. Let church.com become our church. Let's sign up, sign in, and confess here at the altar of loneliness. Naturally, this is a poem that came with a lot of critique from students, Uh, a lot of that specifically about social media, which makes sense. A student notes that from Mr. Alexi, living on Facebook is an extension of childhood, where things can be kind or cruel, and everything is public domain. The author is not on good terms with social media, the student says. Not all senior people, just like the author, Readily embrace what technology has to offer. So I think this is a fun place to start because we do see Alexi, an older gentleman, critiquing social media, which is generally perceived as a space for younger people. Now, Facebook obviously isn't that. It's wildly popular, but it's perceived as being for older people. But another student notes that the internet has created a wall that stands between in person connection according to this poem. And there are a number of students who agree with this reading. Uh, One says that social media decreases the face-to-face communication people have with each other. And Alexi shows this through a series of vivid day-to-day examples. And there's a bit of the absurd in the approach that the poet takes here, with one student exploring this fairly well, so I'm going to read a fair amount of her response. She says that his use of verbal irony shows the ridiculousness of our society and their use of social media. Opening Facebook would not initiate an actual reunion between past friends and lovers. It's more to prove a point about how connections can rekindle, whether consensually or not, like at an actual reunion. So for the speaker, he says, we should undervalue and unmend the present. The student says we definitely should not. There's a smiley tone, she says, that accentuates the absurdity of our actions, which is described Later in her response as foolishness. Now, one of the critiques were related to how social media can remove us from the present moment. A student says that although social media is intended for keeping up the present, people are often caught in a spiral from the past, in the endless high school reunion. Another notes that Facebook is portrayed as a way of allowing the reader to have a reunion with past friends and lovers. However, the present slowly becomes irrelevant to the speaker. Elsewhere, the speaker exposes how social media causes us to undervalue the present because we're busy pretending. We're not in the present moment, but the childish one where we get to play games. Along this line is a student who notes that the line about undervaluing and unmending the present, this is a suggestion that the speaker views meeting up with people from the past as kind of damaging. And yet, it presents this as kind of an an excited, enthusiastic command. Let's do this. My student says that the poet uses events throughout our lifetime to show how they've become almost meaningless now that social media is around. We all undervalue and unmend the present when we upload something that will always stay alive and follow us throughout our entire lives. Now, the poem ends with a reference to loneliness and loneliness. A number of students had things to say on this subject. One noted, maybe unkindly, (laughs) that Alexi seems to be making fun of Facebook moms that are reminiscing about that one class field trip in junior year to prove what social media is doing. It's keeping us in the past and isolating us from the world around us, which those altars of loneliness at the end allude to. A student notes that this means that no matter how much you share or how much you try to reconnect with others, you'll end up feeling incredibly lonely another notes that this is a poem about the irony of how something meant to bring everyone together has instead isolated people student says the extent of isolation described here is actually normalized social gatherings and face-to-face conversations are replaced with the internet starving us of the whole definition of what it means to socialize and this affects in my students readings the places where socialization usually occurs with a student pointing to the line that says, sign up, sign in, and confess here at the altar of loneliness, and connecting that back to the references to church.com, saying, all these steps at the beginning are placed in quick succession. There's a rapidness here in the sign up, sign in, and confess. It it implies that a person seems to be very busy. They're they're just so caught up that they don't have time for other things. Maybe like the real church, which is why we have that substitute, church.com. Finally, there there are some other odds and ends that I think are really interesting reads. A student notes that while this poem has four stanzas, there are sentences shared between half of them. They emphasize the phrase that is cut off. This is where we get things like unmend the present. These lines that go from one line to the next or one stanza to the next are called enjambed, And the students seem to suggest that By breaking these sentences across lines and stanzas, we're physically breaking the ideas that are being suggested there. Another student points to how the author uses metaphors to show how our lives are being replaced on the internet. The author seems to believe that we are too self-centered in our online social lives, that we forget about our real social lives. And one line that most students didn't look at is where it says, let fame and shame intertwined. And there's a really interesting reading here. A student suggested that this is about how you can become famous when you post something shameful. There's an opportunity to become shared wildly if you are willing to kind of degrade and debase yourself. And a student says that that's what that line is supposed to represent. Now, I think all these readings are effective and they work, but I would not be doing my job if I didn't bring up one important thing here. A number of students read this poem and thought it was saying positive things about Facebook and social media in general. And I think part of that comes from, it does have a kind of forceful, encouraging, excited tone here, but all of that is fake. All of that is irony. And one of the ways we identify that is by looking for specific words and phrases that reveal that fairly clearly. And one of those I think the students overlooked that I really wish they had looked up, is the word exhume. Exhume means to dig up something, usually a corpse. So when the poem talks about exhuming our childhoods, it is not speaking positively about the act of doing that. It's likening it to digging up dead bodies, to violating the final resting places of corpses. And that's pretty horrific. It'd be easy to look past, and students could be forgiven for having done so. But this is why looking up words that you're not familiar with can really change a reading if you take the time to do so. Now, our next poem is Jose Alavarez's My Therapist Says Make Friends With Your Monsters. When I first read this poem, I found the relationship between the speaker and their monsters to be a surprising but effective construction, a way of making sense of the insecurities we sometimes can't help but feel. I'll introduce our second Olivares poem after I've read this one, but both poems are going to have the same writing task and secret passphrase. In the case of both poems, I think there are interesting choices happening here related to structure and syntax. When students get into these topics in their analysis, I geek out. I can't help it. These kinds of close analysis are not the most obvious for students who tend to go for the words and phrases that present main ideas, but small details can do critical work in emphasizing those big ideas. So I want all my students thinking small this time. For this reason, we actually have two secret passphrases, and you can use either, or both. They are structure and punctuation. For the writing task, I want you to do something I've not generally encouraged on any of these responses. I want you to make a personal connection. I want you to end your response with it. Be sure that this personal connection is related to the analysis you are doing, and it needs to feel like part of the larger paragraph. Do not just say, for my personal connection, I think. No. Neither should you say you can't relate to anything in here. Poetry is wonderful for elucidating experiences we might never have ourselves but it can also help us see our own experiences in new ways. I'm confident either of these poems can do that for us. My Therapist Says Make Friends With Your Monsters by Jose Alavarez We are gathered in truce because my therapist said it was time to stop running, and I pay my therapist too much to be wrong, so I am here. My monsters look almost human in the sterile office light. My monsters say they want to be friends. I remember when we first met, me and my monsters. I remember the moment I planted each one. Each time I tried to shed a piece of myself, it grew into a monster. Take this one with the collar of belly fat, the monster called Chubby, Husky, Gordito. I climbed out of that skin as fast as I could, only to see some spirit give it legs. I ran, and it never stopped chasing me. Each new humiliation coming to life and following after me. After me. A long procession of sad monsters. Each monster hungry to drag me back to return me to the dirt I came from. Ashes to ashes. Fat boy to fat. My monsters crowd around me. My therapist says I can't make the monsters disappear no matter how much I pay her. All she can do is bring them into the room so I can get to know them, so I can learn their names, so I can see their clearly toothless mouths, their empty hands, their pleading eyes. Our second poem from Jose Olivares is Ars Poetica. We've read another Ars Poetica poem back in September, Charles Bukowski's Defining the Magic. His poem repeatedly told us what a good poem is and what it can do likening it to a cold beer or a gun before ending by proclaiming that a good poem knows when to stop. Well, Olivarez's take on the Ars Poetica genre definitely has a flair for an effective stop. That colon at the end just begs you to answer that closing question yourself. I'm very interested to see those answers. This poem, you'll notice, doesn't look like the poems we've done this year. You are reading it correctly. This is a paragraph, In addition to being an example of Ars Poetica, it is also a type of poem defined by its structure, called a prose poem, because it is written in sentences and paragraphs of prose writing. And yes, it is still decidedly poetic. I hope as you listen to and read the poem, you'll consider why the poet may have chosen a format that doesn't look like traditional poetry. Why use a format? that might even lead those who have never seen a prose poem to respond by saying, no, that isn't poetry. Why use a format that doesn't look like poetry to many people in a poem about the art of poetry? Ars Poetica is read by one of my former students, Lupita Carmona, a photographer and delightful human. Here's the poem.
1: Migration is derived from the word migrate which is a verb defined by Merriam-Webster as to move from one country, place, or locality to another. Plot twist. Migration never ends. My parents moved from Jalisco, Mexico to Chicago in 1987. They were dislocated from Mexico by capitalism. And they arrived in Chicago just in time to be dislocated by capitalism. Question Is migration possible if there is no other land to arrive in? My work? To imagine. My family started migrating in 1987 and they never stopped. I was born in migration. I made my home in that motion. Let me try again. I tried to become American, but America is toxic. I tried to become Mexican. Mexico is toxic. My work, to do more than reproduce the toxic stories I inherited and learned. In other words, just because it is art doesn't mean it is inherently nonviolent. My work, to write poems that make my people feel safe, seen, or otherwise loved. My work, to make my enemies feel afraid, angry, or otherwise ignored. My people, my people. My enemies, capitalism. Susan Sontag, victims are interested in the representation of their own sufferings. Remix, survivors are interested in the representation of their own survival. My work, survival. Question,
0: why poems? Answer. Remember that you have a choice of which poem to respond to. It's totally up to you. You also have a choice with our secret passphrase. Feel free to use either structure or punctuation, or both, if you're feeling ambitious. Our writing task requires you to make a personal connection to the poem. Yes, you can use the first person here but be sure the personal connection flows logically from the analysis you have written in the paragraph. My Therapist Says Make Friends With Your Monsters has many enjambed lines and a dozen stanzas, so you may need to rely on single and double slashes in your quotations. Pay close attention to your capitalization when quoting as well, as this poem doesn't have a single capitalized letter. Ars Poetica doesn't have any stanzas at all, so you won't need any slashes if you're using it. Remember to complete your paragraph-length response by Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. But if you can get them done sooner, I'd really appreciate it. Jose Alavarez will be joining us for our final podcast episode as we explore the analysis my students did on his poems. And having these responses done sooner will make preparing for that interview much easier. You'll need to complete two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. Your paragraph-length response should include a tag and make a claim in the opening sentence or two, and any evidence you use should be short, embedded smoothly into your sentences and fully explained. And only reply to responses with real claims. If a student only attempts to summarize the poem, there likely isn't anything to agree or disagree with. Be sure to read the assignment instructions for a full breakdown of the expectations. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like our class to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeaches.com or on Twitter. I am at LightenTeaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 52 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few
1: things that you yourself find quite excellent.